Welcome to the Dr. Diamond Podcast, where doctors learn from industry experts proven methods to grow their practices like the top 1%. And now your hosts, President of OfficeAutomated.com, Robert Barton, and the CEO of New Patient Group, founder of the Dr. Diamond Club, national keynote speaker, and featured in Dental Economics, Forbes, and CNBC, Brian Wright. Listeners, welcome to the Dr. Diamond podcast with Brian Wright and Robert Barton. We have a very special guest today on the show. So it's Chris Benson of Benson Koppel and Associates, and they're an authority in the orthodontic field. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to be on another show today. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Chris and his, his organization? I know they're an authority in the orthodontics field. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting to have Chris on, which we'll hear from in, in just a second. And like you said, he's a partner of Benson Coppola Associates, highly reputable source and trusted source for business data, uh, you know, mainly in the orthodontic profession. They're trusted by thousands of orthodontists. They do a lot of transition work and really more than any other firm. And very impressive company, very impressive guy. Uh, you know, I'm happy to become friends with him uh, in a multitude of ways and excited to have him on today. Hey, Chris, how are you? It, Brian, I'm great. Thanks for that kind introduction. And I'm, ex- I'm excited to learn from you guys and what you're doing, too, because I think uh, it's important to the marketplace from what I know already. So happy to be a guest. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, you know, our, our podcast is just about giving people great information that can help their, their practices in a multitude of ways. So excited about some of the topics that we're going to talk about today. And the first one, Chris, is consumerism. I know with, with New Patient Group, the Dr. Diamond Club, you know, we talk about how today's uh, you know, patient is no longer a patient. They're consumers. They they buy, they shop from an orthodontic practice, uh, really any type of healthcare practice for that matter. Uh, the same way they buy and shop as if they were searching for a car, a, a TV, et cetera. And it's really changing the, the profession, uh, orthodontic profession, et cetera. Give us your thoughts on consumerism and some of the changes that are going on in, in healthcare. You know, I think you're spot on with with what what you just said. We we are really moving in America across many marketplaces from this kind of old economy, linear um, supply chain based company to a place where you really need a platform to be successful, which means you're connecting consumers with products. And demographically, our country is changing too. And so, really, over the last decade, this has accelerated in as the uh, millennials, you know, as a cohort, enter into probably the largest buying group since the baby boomers um, with the most amount of wealth. Uh, they just act differently and they buy differently. And businesses that understand that are thriving and businesses that want it to be how it always was, i.e., if I could, uh, kind of older orthodontists that are my age, I'm 56. Uh, we struggle with that sometimes, and so it requires a business model change. It, re- it requires the ability to speak to the consumer through social media channels. It, it requires the ability to do easier to uh, be easier to do business with, and um, so as the orthodontic specialty kind of moves through this time period, uh, we're learning, and uh, the practices that have learned faster are growing, and the practices that are reluctant. Um, are you know either not growing or or kind of flat, and so it's a it's a big big time change in the industry that requires some new thinking. 
Yeah, that's fantastic information, Chris, and it's something that you know it's right up our alley. Because and sometimes I see that that doctors are offended by this, and I think it's it's some of the ones you just described uh, that may have been used to how it used to be. But you know, consumers from a from an orthodontic perspective, I mean, an orthodontist is a is a business to consumer organization, and consumers have so many choices now, and an orthodontist competition is not just another orthodontist down the street or a GP that happens to do Invisalign. It, it's, it's that too, but it's all other businesses that are offering something that consumers value and can choose to spend their, their disposable income on. So give us your thoughts on that and you know, how, you be, how you believe consumers need to be reached uh, today in order to, to get them to buy from an orthodontist or, or, or a GP or anybody for that matter. Uh, yeah, uh, again, we, we sound like we're you know, rehearse this. We haven't, folks. <laughs> but um, but the, but this theme is really important for business, orthodontic business owners, practice owners to understand, because the consumer does have many many choices now, and, and where they're going first is online, and they're going to reviews, and they're going to your website. Um, it's said by the consultant base that before a consumer that's a potential you know candidate to have his child or her child enter your practice or themselves if they're an adult patient will spend 13 minutes on your website before they pick up the phone and call you. And so, you know, a lot of websites are stale um, and this consumer really is looking for trust and it's looking for ease of doing business with. They're not so interested in filling out uh, forms on a clipboard when you walk in the office. They don't really care about the office tour. Um, and so my coaching to, and I'm not a practice management consultant, but when I'm asked to speak in front of orthodontic groups um, on the business aspects and we touch on this consumerism topic, what I tell them is that, you know, in the 90s, we, you know, mission statements were all the rage and we kind of got away from that in the, in the knots and, uh, you know, since 2010. But I think uh, there's a circling back to where you really need to understand and express to the marketplace and to your employees, what are you about as a orthodontic practice? What is your mission, if you will? What is your mission statement? And then you have to train that through your employee base and you have to express that to the marketplace in a very clear way and you have to use social media to do it as well as your verbal skills and in the way you treat people when they come to your office. So um, I'm asking people to really you know, take a step back from their practice and start as leaders from the top and say, what what do you want your message to be to the drawing area that that you deal with? And then how can I implement that message? And what kind of megaphone do I need to get that message out? And how do I need to communicate it? And it's a learned skill. It's not one that orthodontists naturally uh, possess. And so there's consulting groups and books and Facebook share groups and things like that where we can share information and learn what's working for this practice or that. But that's my advice because it's all about uh, speaking to the consumer and connecting with the consumer in some kind of multi-channel way. Yeah, I mean, that that summarizes a lot of, a lot of great expertise because, I mean, one of the things that we talk about, whether it be on this podcast, uh, with our program, A New Patient Group, is two things, is that it, it, today's Today's consumer-driven world, you have to be a consumer psychology expert. You have to know what motivates them from a marketing standpoint to say yes to you. You have to know what motivates them once they're inside your doors to say yes to you because you're up against 
like we talked about earlier, you're up against other companies that are consumer experts, General Motors, Mercedes, uh, Best Buy, all these places that they can choose to spend their money on instead of orthodontic treatment. All of those companies are consumer experts. So the more an orthodontic practice, the staff, the doctor can be, uh, you know, the more they can learn how to close consumers, the better they're going to do. And the other one that you referred to is what I call being a CEO first and a doctor second. And some doctors don't like to hear it, but the facts are, you know, you talked about a top-down approach. We call it the inside-out approach, growing it like the most famous CEOs, is that you have to be a CEO business owner first and look through those glasses first and a clinician second to succeed today. So I think that's a lot of a lot of great info that, that you just listed. And it leads us into, Chris, you know, because consumerism is happening, uh, you know, tell us more about Invisalign and, and the importance of Invisalign growing a practice because consumers have kind of spoken. I mean, it, it's, it's the now and the future. They want clear aligners and it's extremely important. Tell us more about that. Yeah, you know, I have studied Align a lot. Um, I'm fortunate. One of the fortunate things to be as old as I am is I, I <laughs> got to see them at birth. I got to see them rock out of the cradle. I got to see them learn to walk, uh, become teenagers. And now the company's 20 years old and really entering its stride, in my view, as a business. And what I have come to the conclusion of is that um, they're not really selling plastic or clear aligners. What they've developed through hundreds of million dollar, of dollars of, of investment in marketing to the consumer and in internal uh, research and development is a platform. And that platform is actually con connecting consumers, con connecting providers, connecting DSOs and corporate, even though a lot of people want to shy away from that. That's happening in our world. And we'll talk about that in a minute, I think. But um, I really believe that when you look at that company that, you know, did a billion dollars in 2016 and it's going to do, you know, a billion X uh, in 2017 and is growing at 30% plus or minus. And you kind of look at the platform that they've put together. Uh, the, you know, I think, you know, the orthodontic market has grown over the last eight years at, you know, under 3% or at 3%. Last year was a great year. It had just a titch over 3% but kind of unimpressive growth. And, and during that same time period, Invisalign has gone basically from a $500 million company to a billion dollar company <laughs> with the latest quarters, you know, posting 30% year over year growth. And the <laughs> consumer is ready for this product. It wants this product. Um, it, it really speaks to this whole movement of moving from this old orthodontic economy that was brackets and wires in, you know, the biggest innovation, I think, in the in the new patient enrollment process in the last 30 years was probably moving from a three-step consult series to a one-step consult. But now, you know, the consumer's asking for clear aligners and, and frequently specifically asking for the brand Invisalign. Okay. And Invisalign is, is connecting with those consumers and trying to drive them to providers that will um, say yes. And so, there's a lot of controversy about how they do that, but uh, from a strategic point of view, I think I'm in line with pretty much what they're doing. You look at, there's a great book that came out at the end of last year called The Four, written by Scott Galloway, and he talks about really the four horsemen of the apocalypse in the business world uh, today, and that is Facebook, Google, Amazon, and Apple, and how each of those companies kind of have made these investments to connect consumers to products in different ways. Uh, and at, if you look at the orthodontic specialty, 
Invisalign has made those investments and they're kind of the one horseman of the apocalypse, if you will, in orthodontic care and in dentistry, I would argue. And so I think they're a force to be reckoned with. They're not for everybody, but the notion that you're going to take a $4,800 digital printer and compete with them in-house, I think is laughable. There's other products, but there's 900 patents with Invisalign that are kind of cross, you know, interwoven. And yes, some of those are coming off right now and they will year by year, but it's going to take a Herculean effort to compete with them, with the material science that they have, with the, you know, with the product that they have and with the connection to the consumer that they have. And on top of that, the machine learning that they're developing after treating 5 million cases is incredible because if you look at those four companies, Facebook, Google, Amazon, and Apple, one of the common threads of those companies is that they really are Benjamin Button companies and that they, as they get older, they actually get younger because of the algorithms that are in place that every touch with the consumer, every touch with the producer, every touch with the technician makes the company smarter. And incrementally, that will make it a more efficient system and a more formidable system to compete with. So I love the company. I like the product. I'm not a clinician, so I can't speak to that aspect of it. But from a business aspect, I see where the growth is and the market's not growing at 30%. So we're taking share away from Bracken and Wire and we're putting that into clear aligners, at least in North America. And the Bracken companies, I think, are a difficult slog for the next 30 years because they're making their numbers right now internationally. And as soon as Align, who's made tremendous investments globally, catches up with that, they'll begin to not make their numbers. And companies like Danaher and companies like 3M that owns Unitech are going to scratch their heads and say, do we have an aligner product that can compete? And if we don't, do we want to stay in this business? You know, Shine Orthodontics grew by 80% last year, and they're really the only ones. And they're going to be announcing a clear aligner at their meeting in February. So clear aligners to me is the digital future of orthodontics. Right now we're at 85% kind of analog, if you think of brackets that way, and 15% digital with aligner leading the way. And then you have some other, you know, dogs and cats that are much smaller companies that have a digital kind of workflow and a digital process. But I see over the next generation of orthodontics that that will switch. I don't know if it goes all the way to 85, 15 the other way, but I would say greater than 50% of our cases will be in clear aligners in the foreseeable future. Well, that's great information. What what would you suggest? What would be your message or advice to orthodontists that, that aren't doing clear aligners? They're, they're kind of still in that older mindset of brackets are the way to go or that maybe they lose too much control of the, the treatment with Invisalign. What's your message to them and what do they need to do, do you believe? You know, I think it's education. You know, one of the pillars of a platform company is is education and being able to get cohorts on board and have them stay on board. And I think there are a segment of orthodontists that don't feel like they can get uh, as good a result uh, with the clear aligners. And uh, admittedly, Align says they're they're not suited for all cases, but they believe it's in the 60% plus area of cases that present. Mm-hmm. So I would say to orthodontists, you know, take advantage, talk to your Align rep. And, and get involved in some of the education that they have so you can get more comfortable with the product because it is a different way to treat. It still uses physics, but uh, it's, a different, it's, a, it's a different kind of uh, way to move teeth. 
and uh, that's about as much as I know clinically. The, the other piece is, is just, you know, I think facts are friendly. It's a mantra in my shop. You know, I deal with in the valuation business, you know, buyers and sellers and, and buyers think they're paying too much and sellers think they're not getting enough. And, and we really try to diffuse that uh, tension in a transaction by relying on the business facts of a particular transaction. And I think for orthodontists, I would say, look at the facts. You know, you've got a billion dollar company that's growing 30 percent, that's treated five million patients that's continually innovating and continually investing. That's pushing everything to you right now. And there's this fear that the company um, artificial intelligence will get so smart that a robot or a clown can do this. And I, right. as I, as I listen to the speakers, these cases are difficult. The software's complex and <clears throat> I don't see that happening in the near term for sure. And there's, then there's this notion of they're just, you know, not a gentle and kind company because they've opened a store and gosh, you know, there's going to be a store in my town. Right. But I think, you know, again, you look at Amazon, they've got stores, you look at uh, Apple, they've got stores, but that's not where they make their money. And I think this is just an effort to put that Align is using to put them closer in touch with its consumers. And I consider the store in San Francisco, they opened last year as a consumer laboratory where they're just learning more and they're pushing that information back to their producers, which are orthodontists and general dentists that are doing um, orthodontics with their products. So, you know, look at where the growth is, use the facts, you know, they're growing by 30%. The practices that are growing are growing on the backs of Invisalign. The data uh, from a company called Gage is clear about that. It's got about 1200 practices that they track and allow us to use some of that information. And, you know, just the transition work that we do anecdotally, it's just, you know, 60 to 70 transactions a year, but the practices that we see that are posting greater than market growth are doing it on the backs of um, clear line of treatment. And that really translates to the Invisalign product set. That's interesting, Chris. That's really good stuff. Our company talks a lot about, you, know, you have to grow a practice differently today because of consumerism. But we also talk a lot about competition and how you know a lot of dentistry, a lot of orthodontics is you know it's becoming a commodity because there's so many of them, and the importance of running your practice as a business has never been more critically important. And let's talk about competition, how that's changing the industry, the growth of DSOs as an example. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Well, it is it is very true today. Um, you know, a number of facts. Again, going back to facts are friendly. I mean, you, you you rewind the tape to how many graduates we were spitting out of orthodontic programs 25 years ago, and it's about 20% less than today. Uh, the reasons for that are in the in the 90s, we went through a disruption in orthodontics called MSOs, management service organizations, and we knew those by names like OCA, Orth Alliance, New Horizons, some others. And um, their basic premise was, hey, you know, Dr. Orthodontist, you're great at diagnosing and treating cases, but you're not so great at running a business. So why don't you, for a percentage of your revenue, farm out uh, collections, farm out marketing, farm out HR, all these kinds of things to us, and we'll do that. And they didn't have the right pricing model. They didn't have the right expertise. That idea ultimately failed. But as a result of it, um, three schools opened up um, uh, shortly after that uh, failure, and they're kind of called, I guess, some would say black hat programs. I don't see them that way, but um, school in Jacksonville, a school in Denver, and a school in Las Vegas, and instead of three to six residents per year, they had classes of 15, 
And so all of a sudden we had this increase and since that time, several other schools have started. The AEO really has nothing to say about whether a, an orthodontic program could start or not. That's all done through the ADA and the Department of Education. And so, you know, we're seeing as a result right now, 20% more residents coming out. We're also seeing retirement ages that were in the 80s, 55 years of age, in the 90s, 60 years of age, in the notch 2000, um, they were 65 years of age. And now the average retiring age of an orthodontist is very near 70 years old. So orthodontists are working longer during that time period as well. We had um, this kind of consolidation that you referred to where we had a lot of dentists getting into the specialty of orthodontics and hiring because we had excess orthodontic labor, orthodontists to, to do ortho and not refer that out anymore. We had pediatric dentists doing the same thing. And then we had this kind of DSO model where we're aggregating um, specialty practices and general dental practices um, and providing orthodontics inside those shops. And when you look at the resident base right now coming out with an average of 400,000 almost of educational debt, um, over 50% of the orthodontic residents in the annual surveys that we do uh, with them that are quite substantial. We have 400 responses uh, a year on that. 50% say they want to go work um, as an employee orthodontist, where just five years ago that was more like 15%. So generational change and uh, just the fact that there are more, more places to get orthodontic treatment done require that you have a better message and a clearer message and a louder message in order to make the phone ring. And when you query orthodontic business owners and say, what's the biggest hassle in your practice right behind managing my team is making the phone ring. And that didn't used to be the case. Yeah, that's a huge issue today. You know, one of the things we're so passionate about, I know you are too, is, and I don't know why it's not viewed like this more, but there's so many things inside the practice, Chris, whether it be answering the phones, presenting money, uh, customer service, sales fundamentals, marketing, the list goes on and on and on that have nothing to do with clinical expertise. And it actually is 90, 95% of an entire practice is is more the commercial business, you know, consumer aspects of it with not a lot of training that healthcare professionals receive. And, you know, there's never been a time ever because of the things we're talking about today, consumerism, competition, where the, the practices and the staff within it need to be experts at all those commercial items in, in order for them to achieve, you know, ultimate success. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, there's been a cadre of consultants that are quite good and very, very valuable. And if you listen to us and, and what we write about and what we speak about, we're huge proponents of practice consultants. But I think as we move into the next, you know, decade, you know, business expertise is going to be, the premium product that is going to enter the field. And a lot of that's going to come from outside of dentistry because it is, in fact, what you alluded to. It's, it's just fundamental business. And we get no training. Uh, the doctors don't in school or very little. And um, we're going to have to hone our expertise to be able to compete with the DSOs because these are a bunch of MBAs that understand business, understand how to systemize things and communicate things. And if you can't compete on that level, um, you're going to be left behind. Yeah, great points, great points. I would just make a comment. Um, you know, there, there is in many camps in orthodontic private ownership right now what I'll call a wet blanket feel, uh, that they're out in the cold and they're, uh, there's no comfort. They're surrounded by this wet blanket and they're shivering. And it's because they're fearful. When I, as I look at the market and as I've studied it, 
And when you look at what's happening with some of the direct-to-consumer uh, products that are emerging, like Small Direct Club and so forth, mm-hmm. um, my view is that we only that the market will expand, and that this and we're just now entering this age of market expansion. If you look at North America, we treat three million cases a year annually, and North America, consisting of the U.S. and Canada, has about 350 million people. So, you know, the math is pretty easy to figure out what a small percentage of people that, uh, you know, are in in North America actually get orthodontic treatment. And I don't think there's an access to care problem in that, you know, I can't find an orthodontist near me. We don't have that issue. But I think there's been in the past this kind of uh, price barrier where the orthodontist had it great and they didn't have the competition that they have today, and they kind of catered to more of the affluent um, elite clientele. But when you look at surveys done by the ADA, done by the AEO, done by Align, done by SDC, they all indicate that depending on who you listen to, there's between 50 and 100 million people in North America that say in these surveys that they could benefit from orthodontic treatment or desire it, but they haven't done it. Um, and when you look at some of the data that's coming out of Align and coming out of SDC, what you see is people saying, primarily adults, I've thought about this for three or four years, and now there's an affordable way to do it. And so I think the future for the specialty is bright if orthodontic owners can understand that the market is expanding and that there's a subset of patients that want to see a doctor uh, but they don't want to pay traditional fees. And if we can figure out a way using products like um, Invisalign clear aligners, then I think there's opportunity for great growth. And I think we're just trying to understand that marketplace. I think Invisalign's working on that. I think the, the you know the, the folks that have digital printers in their offices and are printing their own aligners are working on that. Is there a three to four thousand dollar price point where a consumer who desires to see a doctor for themselves but especially for their children would migrate to our solo and group practices in higher numbers if they knew that that idea existed and so we'll, we'll discover that over the next three to five years I think and um, in my view we're going to be treating more patients than ever before going forward and practice owners that understand that there is this new marketplace out there that they can contact and attract to their practices, I think we'll see tremendous growth and do quite well. Yeah, those are great points. I think from a CEO innovation standpoint, you know, for all the listeners out there, whenever an industry, and we'll use orthodontics as an example, is going through changes with competition, consumerism, like we're talking about today, it rep- it, what it does is it represents a very unique opportunity for exceptional growth to the ones that are forward thinking, ad- adopt or adapt to the change and learn how to grow their practice in changing times because they could forever outperform their competition if they become that innovator that adapts their practice to the consumer and the competition. So I actually view it as a, a very unique and wonderful way uh, for superior growth in the future to the orthodontists and, and other doctors as well that are willing to change with all the things going on. I, I would totally agree. I think there's tremendous opportunity going forward. And, you know, my my company is about the business of orthodontics and my interest really in looking deep into the Invisalign product set has been to try to understand what the new model needs to be 
to justify this lab fee because when you look at the objections of why uh, there's not more adoption of that product, it's usually case fee to the consumer or lab fee to the producer, which is the orthodontist or the dentist. And as I've um, studied this and, and talked to consultants and really looked hard at real numbers, what I'm seeing anecdotally is practices over and over are doubling, tripling, quadrupling their Invisalign usage uh, year over year, and they're remaining profitable because they understand that there is inherent efficiencies in delivering plastic versus having a technician that has to do a bracket and wire or wire change or, or you know reposition brackets. So as I talk to the consultants, they say a bracket and wire you know chair side assistant. Uh, technician can see 14 to 16 appointments per day, but an Invisalign uh, assistant just delivering plastic all day long can see 22 to 26. Right. And so there's this kind of 50% inherent growth in the staff that we already pay and own. If we can migrate our practices to a higher share of chair, where we can start to realize some of these benefits. I don't know of 100% Invisalign practice that's truly 100%. There are several satellite carve-outs that are 100%, but they're in that the dozens, not the mainstream, but most of us are hybrid practitioners where we're doing the largest portion of our care in brackets and wires, and we're growing in to doing larger and larger share of chair with the liner treatment. And as you do that, my analysis says that the, the secret ingredient, if you will, is revenue per FTE, because we've been averaging 180000 in revenue per FTE in the industry. And as you get into a more efficient digital system, you can see more people with the same amount of staff and that revenue per FTE to offset the lab fee versus a bracket fee has got to increase. And so we're seeing practices that are doing 30, 40% share of chair or greater that have moved from 180,000 revenue per FTE to 230, 280 in saw several last year, over 300,000. And when you can do that, you can maintain your profitability levels and it all makes sense. And um, so we just got to learn how to do that better. We've got to teach that and coach that from companies like myself and yours. And um, I think the, the future is not only profitable, but bigger practices that can see more people, um, even at varying price points. Hey, fantastic information. So tell everybody where they can learn more about Benson Coppel and Associates. Where can they go to, to check you out? Yeah, we're, we've got a great website, just www.bensoncoppel.com. Uh, a lot of information uh, that I've just shared with you is on there. We do have a quarterly newsletter that you can subscribe to if you don't already, and it's 100 bucks a year. It comes out 16 pages, four times a year on the kind of things that we're talking about on this podcast. And, um, you know, our, our mission is to really educate in – and help the solo and small group practice. And, and then if you want to go the DSO route, we know those folks too. And we think there's a lot more opportunities for all, all doctors out there. And so we, we are here to help you on the business side if we can. That is just absolutely amazing information. I loved hearing it. I, I'm, I'm as much a listener as I am a participant in these because I just love to hear insight from industry experts such as yourself. I, I loved how you talked about looking in the past and, and realizing that the same things that worked you know, 10, 20 years ago aren't working today because the, the demographic changes, the population is changing. I think we all have to be sensitive to that as business owners and as, as working with small businesses in the, in the healthcare arena. And, you know, I think the listeners will be, benefit tremendously from looking into your uh, Benson Koppel newsletter. It comes out quarterly. 
uh, just packed full of information. And I know that uh, that's super valuable information in terms of looking forward to the future and, and figuring out how to do things differently that are going to make a practice more profitable. Well, I don't know about you, Brian, but I thought that was absolutely fantastic. You know, Chris Benson has had his finger on the pulse of orthodontics for, uh, I, th- I think he said, 20 some odd years. And he's he's analyzed so many orthodontic practices and uh, prepared them for sale. And, you know, he really understands the business of orthodontics. So I think he has a lot of wisdom to uh, that, that he offered today. Uh, what were your thoughts? I think you nailed it. You summarized everything perfectly. The, the guy understands the business components of a practice and I think even more importantly understands that a practice has to function like a business uh, in today's competitive marketplace. I think he was awesome. There's a reason why he's trusted by so many thousands of orthodontists and I I think it's a real honor that he talks about uh, you know my company New Patient Group and our Dr. Diamond Club all over the nation and believes heavily in what we offer. Uh, I think it's a real honor coming from a guy that is clearly that intelligent and that good at what he does. Well, I think he obviously sees the value of organizing a business and and having something that's sellable. You know, um, there's so many small businesses, they get into the minutia of trying to make profit and trying to make money. They forget that organizing the business almost to the level of a franchise is a good activity to do. And of course, we teach our office automated uh, customers to have their staff do the organizing. You know, it's not as if the business owner needs to get in there and, and you know, do all the work. You know, the staff can literally do the work for them and they just supervise it. So I think a person like Chris Benson preparing practices to sale and, and seeing so many different types of practices that, that are for sale, you know, I think he really sees the value in, in having an organized business to sell. I think that increases the value of a business. Well, you're right. And it, it's, <laughs> I kind of listening to him, you know, if you're fo- if football fans out there, if you're going to get what I'm talking about a little bit more than if you're not. But, you know, when, when your team drafts an offensive lineman in the draft, it's a it's a non quote unquote sexy pick. Nobody gets excited. However, without an offensive line, it doesn't matter what other kind, kind of talent that you have on your team. You can't succeed. And I, and I relate that to the organization of your business, the protocols, the systems as being is being that offensive line that protects everything else that you do. The, the, the problem is, is that nobody, very few people are willing to put in the work that it takes to do it. And, you know, we see it all the time. Doctors want, give me more new patients. Give me, I want to grow. When you're going to grow more by focusing on the organization, the systems, the protocols, the training, uh, all those internal marketing methods that we talk about and you talk about, that is what's going to grow a business at higher levels. And again, what separates uh, the Chris Bensons, the Regina Blevins of the world, uh, from the 99% that just have a tough time getting it through their head how a business uh, and what it takes to grow a business. Uh, and I, I just think today was awesome. Yeah, and obviously that's what your company is about, New Patient Group and the Dr. Diamond Club, is teaching them from a strategic standpoint and an intellectual standpoint all the components necessary to pull that off. And then officeautomated.com is the software that makes all that easier so you can hold employees accountable and document your systems and processes and pretty much make staff turnover a non-issue and not lose momentum with the practice with staff turnover, which can happen very easily. So um, yeah, well, that's a great episode. You know, this is fantastic. I'm having a great time listening to these experts within the dental industry and I hope the listeners are as well. 
Yeah, me too. Thanks, listeners. Uh, Remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. You can also find us on YouTube. Just type in the company name. Uh, We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next time.